going on, everybody? It's your boy, Jordan. And this is Desmond. And welcome to episode 173 of Two Black Nerds. Yeah. That's right. It's that time once again for us to bring you our opinions and hot takes on all things fandom, pop culture, and entertainment. As always, you can find Two Black Nerds wherever you get your podcasts. Please make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a friendly rating and comment to show your support. And of course, join in on the conversation each and every week by following us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Two Black Nerds. We appreciate that love, y'all. And let's not forget to mention we have merchandise that's available now at twoblacknerds.com. Go check out our Two Black Nerds Forever collection, inspired by Black Panther Wakanda Forever. We got t-shirts, crew neck hoodie stickers, mugs, and tote bags. So go ahead and place those orders right now. On today's show, we'll be reviewing a pair of new movies, including the experimental horror film Skinamarink and the latest film from director Sam Mendes, Empire of Light. Also, we'll discuss the animated series based on the Marvel Comics characters Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. Plus, we'll react to some significant developments within the Marvel Cinematic Universe on the heels of the release of Quantumania. But before we get to any and all of that, we're kicking off this week's podcast with our weekly review and recap of the HBO original series, The Last of Us, which... We are slowly but surely getting towards the end of this first season. We have now reached the second half of the Last of Us series, and based off of everything we saw last week, they have simultaneously remained incredibly faithful to this video game while making some very, very notable deviations and changes to the source material. And I think for the most part, you and I have liked a lot of the changes that they've made. And last week's episode was explosive, to say the least. So many things happened. And from an emotional standpoint, it certainly altered, I think, the trajectory the trajectory of where we are following our characters as we get towards the end of this first season. But before we talk about the spoilers for this week and do a bit of a deeper dive and talk about the major events, just pass it over to you to start with your big picture overall thoughts. What did you think about episode six of The Last of Us? I absolutely, absolutely, absolutely loved this episode, man. It bounces in and out of things we've either seen in the game between new things that are happening that didn't happen in the game. There's even some things from the second game that are in this episode and it's done really just so well, man. Neil Druckmann and Craig Mazin, I think have just found such a stride with this, 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 this TV show, man. Cause what's impressive about this episode is it's not super fast paced. It's not a ton going on here, but the acting chops, the tone, the, there's just so many things about this episode that I really enjoyed, man. I gotta. This episode goes to Pedro Pascal first and foremost. He was he's acting in this episode, man, and I think he really is encompassing what Joel is is and what Joel is meant to be. And I I really just loved every bit of it, man. It's it's an episode that they take the characters and they take you know what Joel and Ellie are meant to be, and they take the moments that you can't take to spend time with in the video games and just do more with them. They, they sit down and talk about, you know, just so much in this episode that made me feel like, yeah, that's what they would do if we had more time in the game, even, and even, you know, Neil Druckmann was even saying in the podcast and stuff, there's things in this episode that they just couldn't do (laughs) in the video game. And I love that they're taking the time to explore some of those smaller things here. Um, So yeah, I really enjoyed it, man. Also shout out to Bella Ramsey too, who also, killed this episode um i think they just found their footing man and this is this is another one of those ones to me that it it the the performances here are just so good 
that I there's really no complaints, man. I love the pacing. I love the conversations being had. I love the the attribution to the to the video game and sometimes lack thereof. It's just a good episode overall for me, man. So I enjoyed it. I got to agree. This was another incredible and fantastic installment into the series. They have just been further increasing my excitement for everything that we're seeing week to week, which is a really challenging thing to do when you have a series that not only is telling to a certain extent somewhat of an original story with some of these new these new additions that they're making but something that does have such a loyal fan base and many people are expecting this to play very very closely to their experience in the video game and i'm noticing so many conversations on social media where people are having these different experiences while also watching the same thing unfold every single week and it's really fascinating a fascinating experiment to watch those who played the game like you and i versus those who are entering into this world for the very first time and as somebody who did play the game and, and, and is continuing to return to this show week to week i'm just astounded at how much they've been able to achieve thus far within six episodes how much they're able to hold my attention and keep me so invested into something even though i know the outcome of it mm -hmm. i'm always wondering on the side of me like well maybe they might change this and i might see some things that 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 didn't happen in the game that that could that could throw me off and and present a new surprise and and then i see that they might stay more faithful to to elements that i just couldn't have predicted it's always it's always just a nice experiment to to, to undergo that type of experience every single week and, and what they did here from a visual perspective which i think this might be the most beautiful episode thus far and an emotional perspective everything that we had with the relationship building and the new characters that were introduced here and just the world building in, in addition to all of that stuff they knocked it out of the park again it's just a really a really great episode and also a nice again i think an additional bridge episode similar to what we saw a couple of weeks ago this is a nice bridge episode towards the final act you know now we're getting towards the the closing chapters of this particular story and i think that this just like it did in the game kind of sets up everything we're going to see in these final three episodes that are coming um in in a really really impactful way and i think that all the key pieces are in place right now to deliver to deliver a, a really emotional and profound experience that we're going to get by the time episode nine rolls around in a few weeks here. But it was great. I loved it and can't wait to talk about it more. So if you've not seen this week's episode of The Last of Us, this is your official spoiler warning. Go duck out and come back and listen to the rest of our conversation when you've had a chance to check it out. And so I kind of want to start off with how we started off with the episode, and that's the fact that we're picking up three months after the events of what we saw last week with Henry and Sam. You know, unfortunately, we had to kind of relive that experience at the top of this episode, seeing the death of Sam at the hands of his brother, and then also seeing Henry eventually commit suicide, which is just so disturbing and still bothers me so much to watch that scene because it was so, it was just so terrible to, to witness and experience that again from the game to now the live action series. But we pick up three months after that, and, and, and we get a true passage of time, maybe the most significant passage of time we've gotten across this show thus far and because this is a bit of a truncated experience maybe compared to the video game where you can maybe duck off and do some side things and take mm -hmm. your time and, and experience the world a little bit more we don't necessarily have that luxury with the live action live action tv show so i find that 
in the opening moments of this episode, we're sort of left to fill in a few of the gaps that, that, that are insinuated based on the relationship that we see established with Joel and Ellie. What we see at the top of this episode is, is a Joel who's a little bit more communicative with Ellie. He's yeah. opened up a little bit more. He's very much more willing to answer questions that she has. You can tell that they've grown closer now than they have before. And I think that that's partially due to this, the, the acceptance of this mission from Joel, but also just to what they experienced, which was an emotionally traumatic, you know, turn of events. And now that that's, that's kind of bonded them closer. But in addition to that, there's also um, some, some underlying things that are wrong with Joel that, that that we'll cover soon enough here, but just kind of want to get your thoughts on how they communicated this, this passage of time in the, in the opening moments here, because the game similarly is a game that takes place across multiple seasons. And I think we're finally getting that Mm -hmm. illustrated here. We're, we're firmly in the winter time now when we pick up in this week's episode. So what did you think about just the way that they communicated that communicated that particular idea? Yeah, it's just one of those things that is going to happen. Um, I think in an adaption where we're we're faced with, what, nine hours <laughs> of content versus the 20 hours of content in a video game. And I think, you know, it, it the way they're doing it just makes uh, a ton of sense to me because I think they're skipping time that again, makes sense for us as, again, people who are playing the game versus people um, who are now watching this these, these stories unfold. And what's so interesting is I bet you there's not a one person who didn't play the game who was watching this is like, dang, did they skip this section or did they skip this thing? And I think that's almost just as important as well as the people like us who have played the game where it, it we can recognize that and be like, dang, how do we get here or not how do we get here but you know we know the in-betweens and I think it's cool that both things can exist at the same time and for both parties to feel comfortable with that and so I think that's that's impressive um so yeah man I think I think those skips make a ton of sense also at the end of the day we just have an agenda you know we have things that we know we have to get to we know we even know what next episode is going to look like (laughs) at this point and after that what two episodes left after that right um and so it's 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 kind of crazy to think about we're we're nearing the end and so there 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 are going to be small little time jumps that we have to and humps that we have to get over but i really like the way it's conveyed i think it makes sense they haven't cut out anything that everyone's like oh look at that that thing's not here um instead you know we it's it's like the more welcome jumps um and as perfect as any game is that i i, I will claim that the last of us is one of the most perfect games i think i've played there's also there was always a thing that you can cut out there's always something that can be changed or taken out there's also some always something about a game um that that may not be the 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 most perfect or um or most useful thing at the time. So I, th- I think it makes sense here. Um, and, and even sometimes TV shows do do things better than games. So it makes sense here to me. Um, I'm glad they're doing what they're doing. Yeah, we, we've traversed a lot of area at this point. The, the series starts off essentially in Boston, and then we eventually make our way to Kansas City. If you, if you know anything about geography, those two places are not close to each other. It would take quite mm-hmm. a while to get from Boston to KC. And from KC to Wyoming is also not a short trip. And so the fact that we time jump three months, you know, and, and get get ourselves firmly into winter makes complete sense. But I just love that they that they were able to allow the characters to grow off screen. And, you know, we can just sort of assume, you know, some of these things might have happened. We can assume that Joel and Ellie have just naturally talked more. They really are kind of the only two people that they could talk to mm-hmm. unless they've run into a few strangers here and there. But I, I love that by the time we do pick up this episode, you can just kind of see. Yeah, these two have grown closer. You know, they, they don't still see eye to eye on everything. And of course, like. 
Ellie is still going to get on Joel's nerves occasionally, and he's going to look at her like, yeah, stop being rude. But you can just naturally see that their relationship has grown and developed in a, in a significant way compared to where we've been in previous weeks. What's also interesting is the fact that they, they come across some new characters that are not a part of the game, but these two characters in particular are trying to inform them of their whereabouts because Joel and Ellie, if, as, as we live in this post-apocalyptic society within the series, they don't necessarily know where they are all the time. They have an idea. They know that they're going west, but you could end up lost very easily just because technology is not what it used to be. And so they run into these two, these two people who are a couple, Marlon and Florence, and they kind of warn them about what might lie ahead if you go further west and and it's a really it's a really foreboding message you know they they essentially warn them like don't go that way there's nothing out that way but death you know that if 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 you know somebody out there if somebody you love is has has basically created a life for themselves in that particular region of the country Mm -hmm. they're probably dead and so this signals something to joel in that moment that says wow tommy my brother who i'm looking for might be dead and we see joel essentially undergo a panic attack which we have not experienced before. That was not really an element in the game that they mm-hmm. explored. This is something new that they're adding. And then when we fast forward a little bit more and they finally get towards Wyoming, they're ambushed by this mysterious group of people, which we find out is led by Maria, who is Tommy's wife. But there's a really, really tense moment where they're ex- essentially examining Joel and Ellie. They're held at gunpoint and they send a dog to go sniff them out to make sure that they're not infected. And we know Ellie does have a bite mark, and so a dog could potentially smell that, but she's also immune, so you don't really know what's going to happen. And Joel, though he doesn't have a panic attack in that moment, he just completely freezes up. He does not have any sort of emotional reaction. He can't do anything, necessarily. You can see the fear on his face, but Mm -hmm. what's he going to do? He's held a gunpoint. He can't go save her like we normally would associate him with doing so. So it's just like the worst possible situation to be in, where this little girl's life is likely on the line and thank goodness the dog is like completely friendly and and starts to play with her but all of this just signals just the changes that joel has undergone in this time period again this three months that we have not seen but we're left to assume probably a lot has happened and in addition to that joel has developed this potential disorder that he now has to live with these panic attacks again which he did not have in the video game this is sort of a new addition but i think you can tri- attribute it to a lot of things, his age, what he's experienced, the fear that he's just mm-hmm. living with, you know, being closely tied to Ellie. What did you think about this new addition, this this condition that he now has to sort of overcome and deal with? You know, it's it's I love this, I think, addition because it's so accurate, I think, to the life that, you know, Joel has been living. I think it, it makes sense for everything that he's gone through to have these somewhat panic attacks, which, again, like you said, stem probably from. PTSD and you know all these all these things that he's had to go through especially in that moment where he doesn't you know even he's talking to Tommy about it he was like I don't know what that dog was going to do to her or what but I couldn't do anything in that moment and I think again this all stems from you know the moment that he had to he had to go through with Sarah man He, he even they at they were literally deer in the headlights at that moment you know he feels like he's lost so many times that I think in that moment he he it's funny I feel like we've seen two sides of it I feel like there's one side side of it where it's when they were first leaving the city the QZ and he beats up the guard for Ellie and now there's just a different kind of I think attachment to her that makes it makes that moment almost feel similar to when he lost Sarah and I think one of the deepest things about Last of Us one, it's it's very small, but the idea that when when the day he lost Sarah, the watch his watch that Sarah got him stopped, and I think 
by that same token, that's how he feels in that moment. He's just stopped. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know. I don't know. He, Of course, he doesn't want to lose Ellie in this moment, but he also does, doesn't want to slip up and mess something up or so many things are going through his head. In fact, it's probably a mini panic attack he's even having in that moment, man. And so I really do love the addition that they have of, 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 of Joel here and not being able to come up with the idea or the words or being able to move um, in that moment because he's, again, stuck in this. Uh, uh, he's reliving the past and this deer in the headlights moment of not knowing what to do about somebody he cares about who could potentially be in danger. And I think it's just so accurate. Yeah, no doubt, because one of the things that, that Joel did not have to necessarily live with, with for 20 years, he, he certainly experienced grief. And I think we can assume based off of his character traits and the characterization in this show is that he compartmentalized that whole incident with his daughter, Sarah, and he just locked it away mm-hmm. and chose not to revisit it and kept kept himself closed off to the world. But now with Ellie coming into his life in such a profound way, he's opened himself up to be more vulnerable and to connect with her on a deeper level. Now there's actual legitimate fear that he has to deal with because she has grown to become the surrogate daughter for him. And and this is, you know, something that they certainly explored in the video game that they're taking to another level within the show. And living with that fear and living with the idea that he could lose somebody again that's close to him because the first panic attack it got it got triggered by the, by the idea that Tommy might be gone, which is another mm-hmm. loved one, somebody that he really adores and, and loves and, and would hate to lose, obviously. That's essentially his only other family, his only other real family. And then the thought of Ellie possibly being taken out by the guard dog or by the by the guards that ambushed them, it it, it created a similar reaction, not not physically, but emotionally. Again, you can just read it on his face that he sees that he has everything to lose now because he's let this person become close to him, which he's been willing to do, but that has obvious repercussions because I think for somebody to just lock away all those emotions for 20 years, now, mm-hmm. now you know, at the age of, I think, 56 he is by the time we get here, that's going to come back and you have to deal with that in some form or fashion. And it's coming out in a, in a really, unfortunately, uh, kind of violent physical way within these panic attacks because if you've ever experienced a panic attack, a lot of people say that it feels just like a heart attack. It feels like you might be dying, and, and that's mm-hmm. that's terrible. That's a really, really rough thing to go through, and so uh, we're seeing Joel try to reckon with that and try to understand and deal with that as well. After all of that occurs, we do finally get the reunion between Tommy and Joel, which we've been awaiting since, since they first really split in that first episode. Tommy, of course, is being portrayed by Gabriel Luna, fantastic actor, and that moment of just seeing them reconnect for the first time and who knows how long, it, it was really special to see. I think you can just see for the first time in a long time, Joel just kind of allow himself to just open up and love his brother and to accept him and embrace him. And then you also simultaneously experience Tommy, who is very much shocked and surprised. He didn't know mm-hmm. that Joel was going to show up at his front door like that. <laughs> and so I'm sure he's dealing with the shock of the situation, but also the happiness to see his brother again for what we assume has been a long time. How did you feel about, you know, these two brothers finally coming back together and having that moment? Man, I think one of the most interesting aspects of all this is Joel as the big brother ex- very much expected to find Tommy in a place of, I don't know, neediness, right, and, uh, of help. But he, he pulls up to Jackson and to see Tommy living his best life, <laughs> I think is 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 really different uh, for Joel with all the things that they've been through. And so I think that embrace was was also somewhat of a sigh of relief for Joel to be like, dang, I've 
my brother's kind of doing great here. You know what I mean? Like, oh, man, he's actually thriving. And so in in for Tommy, it's just to see Joel alive. Right. They've lived a crazy previous life before all of this. So I'm sure in the back of Tommy's head, there was any moment for Tommy where I know he was he could be like, man, my brother could be dead. Like, I really don't know where he lives and so they're they, i think they're, they're both going through different emotions in that moment but of course like you said they're just very happy to see each other um and it was a cool moment man like i can only imagine after seeing you know your sibling from umpteenth years you know however many years how how it would be to see them alive in these conditions of how crazy the world is um and and especially after you just got held gump <laughs> and dog to 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 go back to the city and be like oh shoot this is my brother's place you know what i'm saying i don't know it's something about that too that's like oh i'm safe now like before i'm sure he felt the danger but to see the see uh that he's he, he's safe in that moment i think is another sigh of relief for really both of them and so yeah it was just really cool to see um that 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 moment yeah and and really incredible performances from both gabriel luna and and pedro pascal because you can just feel this episode is entitled Kin, so you can naturally feel the kinship between mm-hmm. these two. They actually feel like real brothers, you know, and that's likely because they've worked together before as well. But I think you just naturally feel that emotion between those two because God knows they both have dealt with really, really dark stuff. And Joel, I think, has unfortunately gotten the worst of it. But we can't forget that Sarah is also it's also Tommy's niece, you know. So that was a mm-hmm. that was a tremendous loss for him as well. We we can't forget and take that lightly and he's also experienced further loss that we find find out a little bit later in this episode but i just love seeing that 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 warm embrace because you do get that in the game you do get that moment where they they see each other and they're so happy but the fact that we can you know further elevate it to what you said to see that like yeah tommy is actually like thriving in this place you know he's doing Mm -hmm. really really well and that could perhaps rub off on joel hopefully i think that that's the idea that maybe this life that he that he shows Joel visibly like, look, look what you can have. You know, we, we can create something here together and it can be fruitful and it can be worthwhile. You know, you don't necessarily have to live in darkness, even though you did go through, you know, possibly the worst situation that a parent could ever go through. Right. And so I think that that was just a really a really integral moment. In addition to Tommy, as I mentioned, we also meet a new character called Maria, who is, you know, again, in the video game, but a new character to the show. And she's played by Rutina Wesley, who. I was yeah. just so glad to see if you've mm-hmm. watched True Blood before, you know, that yes, Regina Wesley was one of the main cast members of that show. So it was just great to see her here. And we find out that her and Tommy are married. This is this is, you know, sort of a marriage that they have between the two. And Joel finds out in a really funny way because he didn't know that they were together. He, that, that's also kind of another thing to see how long they've been away from each other. Like, mm-hmm. oh, wow, you got married, bro. Like, I didn't I didn't realize <laughs> that. You know, I, I wish I could have pulled up to the wedding. Um, and they have a, a really I think a really interesting conversation to catch up, you know, between the four Ellie, Joel, Tommy and, of course, Maria to just kind of see where see where everything is. And, and, and they're also showing them around this town, you know, that they've been able to build in Jackson, Wyoming. That's the location that we're in now. And it's just wild to see, you know, them bring this to life on screen because in the game, we don't necessarily go towards this section of Jackson, Wyoming. They mostly they mostly focus on that dam, which was alluded to earlier in the episode, which was a gorgeous visual. But here we can see a community again that's thriving, that's living, that's that's been able to establish something that that is really safe, really protected from the outside world and from the infected. Everybody here is just enjoying a normal life for the most part. I mean, they have movie nights, for goodness sakes. They have banks and they they got livestock and electricity and nice food and a bar is in there. You know, Joel is able to like take a quick take a quick shot 
quick shot with his brother. So, I mean, they're just enjoying kind of the fruits of their labor to be able to establish a place that is that is sort of closed off from the outside world. And they've managed to to make it sustainable. And we get all inform we get all this information from Maria, who says, like, you know, it's basically kind of a form of communism. We have we have, a you know, a, a basically a group of people who were elected by the people that that all come together and decide upon a few things, but mostly we trade and we share resources. And so they've managed to make it work for 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 a, a decent amount of time, I would imagine. What did you think about just seeing this town that's that's located in Jackson, Wyoming come to life? And for the first time really in the show, since we've come to the post-apocalyptic stage of mm -hmm. everything, to see to see a place that does exist where people can live comfortably and be happy to a certain extent all considered with the circumstances that that exist on the outside of those gates. Yeah, man, it was it was really good uh, to see because this show had nothing but all all of the communities we've seen up until now are crazy, right? It's Fedra mixed with the we the people from Kansas City people and it just, too much going on. Um, this is the first time where we actually see at least some form of peace right i really love that moment between actually maria and tommy <laughs> where maria's or where they're like oh this is a commune he was like and they were like oh it makes you a communist he's like wait what <laughs> what are you saying and, and and it's it's really cool though because when you do think of a commune to me I, for some reason i always think a bunch of and flowers and i don't know something about a commune that that that, that drives me there but it really is probably the closest view i think at that we've seen in this world in this very very dark world man where there are animals they got stables with horses there's sheep running around and lambs and what's even crazier um is later in the episode you know we see the the monkeys but they're wild right it's different when you see like domestic animals that people that people are actually you know feeding off of um and so i think i, I just think it's a cool moment man because it's it's in a in a, in a dark show Again, there's always there's always the balance, right? Where is the happiness? You know, I kind of talked about before how Ellie a lot of times does provide like the brightness in, in a lot of episodes, but here it's really Jackson serving as a character to provide the happiness here. And I think that's a really important thing in a in a show like this where we are a little over the halfway point. It's like, man, is there anywhere out there that looks happy? Of course we knew Jackson existed, but I can imagine viewers like who have never played the game, like, what the heck is this place? Is this <laughs> Are they really leaving? You know what I'm saying? Like, are they, they need to stay. What are they talking about? And so, uh, uh, yeah, I love the hope that there is, people can get married. I love the hope that there can be, uh, uh, people can have kids. I love the hope that there's a movie theater in this joint. You know what I'm saying? Like, what? I don't even, first of all, I don't even know where they got these movies from. It's kind of crazy. But, you know, it's the the fact that it exists, man. I think there's a, the, the little small uh, a beacon i think of sunshine a little beacon of hope uh is kind of embedded within within jackson wyoming man and it's it's just it's just really nice to see again in a world that's so dark no doubt and and they they introduced this a little late in the game you know i think most shows would try to pull this type of trigger earlier to to keep it feeling somewhat safe or to give that hope and optimism to viewers but Again, we're more than halfway through the series, and this is really the first sign where there is a normal society in this world, and, and we've come across militias and resistances and just a lot of murder and killing from people who have just like tried to essentially step on the next man next to them or the next woman next to them. And so finally, we've come to a place which is just it's just feels it feels safe, you know, compared to the rest of the world. But the movie theater tripped me out because 
everything ended in 2003 after that there's no more there's no more movies being made so Ooh, you have <laughs> you have a a limited amount of cinematic history to work with you have the majority of cinematic history to work with but you can't watch anything after 2003 Ooh. you want to know what came out the very next year in 04 that they will just never they'll never Uh-oh. have any sort of notice about they'll never be able to witness some of the greatness that came out in 04 i'll give you a couple just a couple quick names the Incredibles. They'll never. Oh get to, my God! They'll never get to heart. see The Incredibles. <laughs> Imagine that—a world without without that uh, family. That that, that 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 really sucks. Spider Man Two. They'll never get mm. to see that. Uh, Man on Fire, a personal favorite mm. as well. They they won't get to see that. Collateral with Tom Cruise and Jamie Foxx. They'll never see that greatness. Two thousand four was a pretty decent year, you know. Mm, and then think good. about every year after that, you know. There's all the stuff you can drop in 05 and 06 and 07. They didn't so, have to uh, see Catwoman though. <laughs> well, man, mercy on their souls for not having to witness that 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 oh sheesh. I don't even know what to say about that one. Thank God. Yeah, they 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 dodged a bullet with Catwoman for sure. But that that was a cool um cool moment to see that they did have a movie theater. I have a question for you. There's a moment in the cafeteria where mm-hmm. they are eating and catching up, and again, Joel is starting to get information about Tommy and Maria and really understanding the situation around them. And while Ellie is just chowing down on food feverishly because she has not had probably a proper meal ever in her life (laughs) there's a girl off in the distance staring at them while they're having a conversation and Mm. ellie looks up and is like hey what are you looking at the girl quickly runs away she didn't want to be noticed and they had a quick exchange there without getting into spoilers without getting into the details (laughs) of what that might mean i'll just ask you and fans if you've not played the game please don't look into this don't spoil it for yourself was that dina that she saw in that cafeteria. I I think so because again, no spoilers here, but a lot of this episode, us the way we see Jackson is definitely the future. <laughs> we hadn't seen this really in the first game. Uh so yeah, a lot of this is from the second game Loki. So, I part of me wants to say yeah, it's just so weird the way they're weaving it right now that it's hard to tell, but because it was so specific right now, I'm going to say yes. Like there's no other I have no other no doubt in my mind that that's exactly who it is yeah because also like why else included you know it's just exactly. like exactly oh ellie sees a random person and tells it's like no way there, no there's way. no reason to just have especially that there especially what's about to happen next episode which is yes yeah I, that's I that's what i was it's thinking a, it's i was like setup. yeah yeah it ties directly into that stuff and i think you know, if people decide to do like a deeper dive and exploration, you'll be like, oh, okay, so we can see the narrative through line that would mm-hmm. exist there. And perhaps even next episode, they might they might point back to what happened in this episode in that moment, mm. that quick exchange. That that could. that could happen. I don't know, but mm-hmm. perhaps they will. But as you said, Jackson, Wyoming becomes it becomes a, a focal point of the second game, certainly. Um, I do want to circle back to Joel, but 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 more specifically Joel and Ellie in this episode, because there are some important developments that happen between those two. I think we talked a little bit about Joel and some of the the physical ailments that he's now dealing with that that, that are really being triggered by the emotional weight that he's now carrying in his life. But Ellie, on the opposite side of that, she of course is, I think, experiencing many of these many of these same feelings, just just in a different way, through a different prism. Ellie, what I found in this episode, which they don't really allude to in the game that much, and I think that they've expanded upon this idea now in the in the series, is that Ellie really looks at Joel as her protector, so mm-hmm. much so that any other circumstance or situation that would change that dynamic, she is not for it. She's like, I don't want to be with anybody else. I don't want to go anywhere with anybody else. 
you feel invincible to me. You feel the most protective and the most safe for me when we go out into the strange, very scary world. And I, I don't want to go elsewhere because what we see happen is Joel finally reach a place again where he is just so emotionally distraught and dealing with so much that he's having visions of possibly seeing Sarah in this town. Mm -hmm. He sees the girl with a similar hairstyle mm, yep. that reminds him of his daughter, and he has another panic attack because of that. So that fear has has come up to the surface so much for him that he is willing to just walk away from this journey, hand Ellie off to Tommy and say, like, hey, man, you take her. You're younger. You know these routes better than I do. I'm confident that you can get her to where she needs to go and finish this mission. I don't feel, I don't feel like I can do it anymore. And Ellie... On the, on the opposite side of that, she's just not for it. She, she ends up eavesdropping into their conversation and she hears all of that stuff and she, she's, really, she's really feeling the most safe with Joel. How, how did you feel about just that, that development that we see between these two that there's a quick moment where they try to separate, they try to go their different paths, but <laughs> they're, just, they're just naturally linked together for, for pretty much all time at this mm -hmm. point. Like there's no separating them. Yeah, it's, it's in this ridiculous, again, just apocalyptic world, man. There's, it's very rare that you're gonna find two people from two different walks of life who are as similar <laughs> as Joel and Ellie are, and unfortunately, their experiences is what makes them so similar, right? Where they both have lost so much, um, and and Joel is so afraid, I think, of losing that in Ellie so much so that again, when when he sees. Uh, uh, that girl that kind of looks like Sarah I think he's a he's not only a, 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 a afraid like oh my god that person looks like my daughter what is that but I think he's a he's having like a realization of that's what he could have had of that that because he sees her with a child like dang what if that was my daughter and my grandchild oh this is a place where family exists and now that it almost feels like uh, uh, his conversation with Tommy right where he's talking about loss and, 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 and all these other things. I feel like we'll talk about the conversation in a second. But there's a moment where it just feels like he's conflating Sarah and, and Ellie together at some, some points in time, right? And he doesn't want to feel that loss ever again that can come that can come from that. And so I think it, it's like a it's a push and pull thing with these two characters, man. It's like a as some it's like they're meant to be. The universe has put them in each other's laps and each other's and as much as Joel is like I can't do this for you there's the universe is like boy if you don't get your ass back in that ring you know what I'm saying that's literally what Ellie is saying like Ellie is like you you tripping right <laughs> like you cannot be serious right now and I think Ellie has felt she feels the gravitational pull of course in a in a protector kind of way she is uh, I mean to me straight up that's like Hey, I, I know you may not be my dad, but you are my protector. And in some ways, though, that could be a gray area. And it's it's, it's just very interesting to hear them talk the way they talk to each other. Because it's almost like a, I know this is a weird comparison. It's a very bad comparison. But it's almost like a, a, a one of those couples that's been together for like 10 years. And you're like, oh, we broke up. We like, no, y'all didn't. <laughs> we know y'all didn't break up why y'all talking like this y'all just gonna get back together the next day but joel and sure. joel and ellie very much have that relationship with each other where if where 
all this PTSD, all these things are coming to Joel. And it's just like, it's, it's just a moment, you know, it's just a moment for him where it's like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. But we know at the end of the day that he's going to come around and, 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 and be Ellie's protector at the end of the day. So it's really crazy how dependent they are becoming on of, of, of each other, man, and how, all, again, their experiences are making them so similar and, and even more importantly, inseparable in these moments, man. That leads us to what I think are probably the two most poignant and powerful moments of the episode. And they, and they are two conversations. The first is the conversation that Joel has with his brother, Tommy, where he confides in him and he talks to him about the dreams and the nightmares that he's been having and these feelings of loss and these feelings of fear in which he does not feel adequate enough to protect Ellie. And, 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 and he wants Tommy to essentially leave his life here in Jackson, Wyoming, to, to, to escort Ellie to Salt Lake City, Utah, which would be a big sacrifice for Tommy because he has a baby, you know, on the way. Like, he he's about to be a father. And, and then the following conversation comes when Joel finally meets Ellie. And this is the big moment that I think a lot of fans have been waiting for, which is taken straight from the game. And that's that's the confrontation between Ellie and Joel where they, they kind of ha they, ha they have a reckoning with each other because now – Ellie has become aware that Joel did indeed have a daughter. She finds that information out earlier in the episode from Maria. And this conversation in, in the bedroom that Ellie is, is, is sleeping in for the night, it, it's almost a one-for-one -one from the video game. It, it's a very contentious conversation where Joel essentially just tells her, like, you know, I'm not, you're not my daughter. You're no daughter of mine. You never will be. And, and, and they, they're going to part ways and go, and go their separate routes on this journey. And so it, it's a very emotional moment again, that mm -hmm. I think a lot of us who played the game were waiting on because it's, it's one of the more memorable scenes, you know, they changed the way in which we got there, but in terms right. of the execution itself and how they delivered it, it was, it was pretty much the exact same. I feel like Pedro Pascal with, with these two performances, he just went ahead and claimed the Emmy already. He just said yes. like, yeah, that's, that's going to be mine. The, the best actor <laughs> in a television series drama, that'll be mine come September. Cause this is what they're going to submit to that award yeah. show. I have no doubt about it. Cause mm -hmm. I, 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 I find it hard to imagine that he might deliver a performance better than this, but how did you feel about those two conversations and just, you know, the way that they evolved from Joel kind of reaching his breaking point and then just a few moments later, he becomes very defensive and, and very upset and angry at Ellie and then takes it out on her, essentially. Yeah, I, I, Pascal, man, wow. Um, you know, I've seen him in a lot of things. It's something about this role, man, where he's just bringing it out. You know what I'm saying? We've seen him in, in numerous things, but this is like, not the first time, but this is just one of the, 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 the times I feel like I'm like, this dude is acting. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I think you I think people understand what I'm saying as well, but man, uh I this is this is these are moments I think that make the game the game because these are these are moments that really don't happen in other games. Like to be honest, a lot of video games are mm -hmm. kind of balls to the wall. This is the story and they never get this deep. They never get this character driven. They never get this this heart to heart one-on-one -on -one moments in video games just don't happen and this is why you know people do claim the last of us is one of the greatest games ever because you're really playing a movie you really are and so the the conversation between you know uh uh him and him and ellie well well first him and tommy man um it's the things that he's saying is it's so it's, it's some of the best quotes <laughs> now in the tv show you know that i've seen i was so afraid I'm not who I was. I'm weak. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's just, he said, I'm failing in my sleep. 
it's all I do. It's all I've ever done is fail her again and again. And, you know, just heard me talk about um, um, me saying, is he conflating Sarah in, in Ellie in this moment? Because he just says her. He says, it's all I've ever done is fail her. And I'm like, which one are you talking about? You know, they never really clarify it in that moment. And I think it's it's it's, it's so interesting because it could apply to both. What if he what if he's having dreams about both? What if one night it's about because he almost he almost says he doesn't even remember say what the, the dreams are about, but he remembers the feeling. And I think that's even more important in this moment when you start to talk about uh, the, the similarities between Sarah and Ellie is just it's the feeling. It's the I have this young girl in my care and I don't feel like that I can protect them. And 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 it's just really good work that 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 uh, uh, Pascal's doing here, man. It really is tremendous. And then we get to the conversation between him and Ellie. And I love, I actually love that this is like such a quick follow up <laughs> because it does make, this is like the definition of drama. You know what I'm saying? It goes from one conversation to be like, Ellie, I'm sorry. I can't, I, he has a therapy session with him and Tommy. And one, for, for Tommy to even say yes to that, that's a brother. Like anybody else in the world would have been like, hell no, I got a wife. I got an unborn baby who's coming. There is absolutely no way I'm going to do this. But because Tommy and Joel have shared those experiences and shared that love, Tommy says yes. And I think I think that's crazy in itself. But for 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 the follow up of Joel have to, having to go tell Ellie the news that Tommy's going to take you in the morning is like. There's no way. Like, are you serious? You've you've brought me all this way and done all these things. You're the only person that I've ever seen. That can protect me. Like Ellie says, you're the one of the only people that have never left me ever. And now you're telling me this is this is the moment you're going to leave me after all we've been through. And so it's just really it's really good TV, man. It is. It Of course, it's a good game, but this is also really good TV. And I'm, I'm this is like the moments where I'm like, damn, I'm glad I made this a TV show. Because also, you know, one of the things about the video game, which, you know, it's fine, but Joel oftentimes was kind of presented as as this near invincible protagonist you know i think that there, there were a lot of things in that game that happened especially in the first one towards the end where it's like yeah you probably shouldn't mm. have made it out of that situation alive but he just kind of mows through people um he's very proficient with with weapons and in his hands and <laughs> i think he becomes kind of a, you know a machine at, at certain points throughout the video game which again is fine but you can't you can't really translate that into the real world this is still a man at mm. the end of the day and what we're seeing right. now more than ever is just all of those human qualities come out of him because Joel, he's slipping, you know, if we're, if we're really being honest about it, like he's he's lost a lot of his hearing. He, he fell asleep on 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 watch, you know, while while they were supposed to be, you know, sort of sleeping and Ellie was supposed to be resting. He was supposed to be up watching her and he fell asleep and she's she's already up with the rifle. And and now he's, you know, just kind of breaking down in front of his in front of his brother in this really emotional way at the at the thought of failing again to protect somebody that he loves, that he's grown to love. And so we're just kind of seeing this man deal with that and, and come to grips with that before ultimately just getting the night's sleep, you know, maybe just really thinking on it and resting resting on 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 this on everything that's that's ahead of them and allowing Ellie Ellie to have her own choice in the matter. Because when we see them the next morning, he he does tell her, like, you know, you you should at least choose what what your outcome is going to be. So pick me or Tommy to go on this journey. She has no hesitation about it at all. She immediately picks him because she perceives him as invincible. And so I think that that's how they communicate that idea from the video game. And so we see them continue their journey. They do eventually reach Salt Lake City, which, again, this is a part of the game in which they come to this 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 uh, medical facility in order to find the fireflies and, and to continue the journey to find this this immunity or to extrapolate 
Ellie's blood to create to create some sort of uh, immune medicine for for the disease that they're dealing with. And unfortunately, these raiders eventually take over the grounds and come and attack both Joel and Ellie. And as they're trying to get away, Joel is mortally wounded. He's he's essentially shivved in his lower abdomen. And, and we see him by the end of this collapse. And he's looking like he's going to bleed out here. So it's a really dramatic, intense scene. And a lot of this is ripped, again, straight from the video game. When they go to the medical facility, nobody's there. They go inside the building. The monkeys are just running around, and, and all of this stuff is, is happening and lifted directly from the video game, and they are attacked as well. Um, the way in which he's impaled is a little bit different in the game. It's In the game, I mean, he would have probably died from the way that it happened in the video game here. It's a little bit more realistic, but it does take him out. And so now Ellie, her biggest fear has come to life. It's manifested She's now alone, essentially, you know, he, he, Joel has not died yet, but she, she is alone in this very moment. So all the fear you can kind of see is taking over her in this moment as she's trying to revive him. Um, how do you feel about the way that this, you know, all closed out? And then also just, you know, sort of the outlook for next week's episode, which is pointing to this relationship that, that Ellie has with Riley. Next week's episode is called The Left Behind. And if you did not play the video game, that is a downloadable content package that was released about a year after the initial game. Um, so there, mm -hmm. there's an entire, entirely new story that's going to be introduced next week in, in the form of a flashback. But what do you feel about just sort of the bridge that they made between the final moments of this episode and then what we'll see next week? What I, I absolutely, absolutely loved it because the end of the episode where Joel falls off the horse, Ellie is trying to figure out what to do with Joel is literally how... Last of Us Left Behind starts. That is, I was like, all they're doing is beat for beat. I was literally watching it like, oh, this is actually perfect. They're really tying this in really well with what we expect next week to be. So I absolutely loved it, man. I also love the pain in Bella Ramsey's eyes when, or the, really the, 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 the fear in Bella Ramsey's eyes, in Ellie's eyes, when Joel gets hurt, man, saying, I can't do this without you. It's another one of those moments. I'm like, Y'all really showing up. That's why. You know what I'm saying? Like you said, they they try to knock on the doors. Uh, these Emmys, man, they trying to knock on the door. Um, and 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 I really, I just love to see it. It's 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 making for for a great television series. Um, and I also love really the action that happens before this because I, I can imagine a lot of people that didn't know what was about to go down and how fast it went down though. That was like five minutes in which he gets stabbed. And he she's just like get on the horse. Get on the horse, Joe. And I was like, dang, I'm, I'm really glad they're doing this. So uh, just kudos to, to, to all involved for being able, I think, to tie this in the way that they are. Because the difference between this and the video game is you got to download a whole thing in order to play to, to even see a lot of this stuff in the game. You know what I'm saying? But they're making it seamless in this TV show. It's like, oh, this is where it fits in. I can't even imagine some people who never played Left Behind, who played the original game, being like, oh, is this where this is tying in? Like, I, I, I really like the way they're connecting it. Um, and so, yeah, I appreciate it. And, and, and kudos to the team for the way they're connecting it. Yeah, because even in the Left Behind story, there there are some parallels in which the, the location of where we are in this story play a factor into that story that they tell between between um, mm -hmm. Ellie and Riley, which we'll see, we'll see come to light next week. But I was also just really tense during this moment of the episode because I was sitting there and it's like it's so quiet, and and in the game it's really quiet too. too. But, you just wonder like, mm -hmm. is somebody gonna pop out the corner? Like, are we are we supposed to like 
brace ourselves, but they didn't do that. <laughs> they kind of held it off right into those final moments, but it shall certainly be a very, very emotional episode seven next week. I can, I can assure you all that, but folks, those are mm-hmm. all of our thoughts on episode six of the last of us, last of us, excuse me. If you've checked out this week's episode, definitely hit us up and let us know what you think. And with that being said, we're going to transition and talk about another TV show, a brand new animated series that just recently debuted on Disney plus moon girl and devil dinosaur. Still working on that thing that's gonna fix all our problems? Time to get genius! It's working! Yes! Oh no, no! Worry, Cuban Clifford. We gotta do this on the DL or my family will freak. Now we got Superman. Somebody call the Avengers. Do they even go below 14th Street? I've gotta fix this. I am the smartest 13 year old. And now I have a dinosaur. My brain, your brawn. We can be superheroes. What do you think? No. What's not in that outfit? Zach? We did the thing! Yeah, yeah, we did! There's no one else to stick up for the Lower East Side. You're just a kid? Are we in over our heads? You're gonna inspire people, just like you inspired me. Moon Girl Magic! Our world needs saving right now. This one's a fighter! It's like you always say, one girl can make a difference, right? Especially when that girl is you. Let's do this, Dee! You go, Moon Girl! Do your thing! Moon Girl Magic! What are you doing? You can't eat that without some of my pie! Wow! So this series is developed by Steve Loader, Jeffrey M. Howard, and Kate Condell, and it's starring a voice cast of Diamond White, Fred Tadasior, Alfre Woodard, Sashir Zamata, Jermaine Fowler, Gary Anthony Williams, Lee Barrere, and Lawrence Fishburne. So as I mentioned at the top of the podcast, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur is based actually off of Marvel Comics, and this is a brand new animated series that, that has debuted on Disney+. Plus. I've not gotten a chance to check this out, and I believe a few episodes are currently available streaming right now, but this is something you've been able to tap into and watch, and so with all of that out the way, I will pass it over to you. What do you think about Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur? Yeah, for those who don't know, Moon Girl is actually known as, and quoted as, the smartest person in the in Marvel. Um, so take that with you somewhere. Um, and now, shoot, to me, this TV show, I don't know if it's considered or been confirmed as canon or not, but just know that Moon Girl is smart as hell. <laughs> and she's a black girl, and she has curly hair. And um, no, this is a really dope show, man. I actually got the privilege to go to the panel about this show at uh, uh, New York Comic-Con back in October, in which the was absolutely amazing. Um, to my surprise, I didn't know that Raphael Sadiq was the composer <laughs> of this TV show, so he pulled up at the panel. I was nerding out. Um, I'm a big uh, uh, fan of Raphael Sadiq, man, but 
they really just have all the makings of this in this TV show to be such a good cartoon. Again, what what's so cool about Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur is that this is coming in the age of I don't know if you can call it a renaissance yet, but there's a lot of black cartoons that are coming to the forefront right now. Craig of the Creek um comes to mind doc mcstuffins uh, my dad the bounty hunter you will be hearing me do, give a review on that show um at some point was also just came out it's just it's really cool to see content animated content shoot think about um, um into the spider-verse just content about black uh uh characters um black uh centered character tv shows coming to the forefront and moon girl and devil dinosaur is another one of those ones that it's being not only shared by Marvel, but it's, again, about a, a girl who is, is very smart. These episodes, there's six episodes out right now, and what I love about them, I love the art style. I love what's even more important is the subject matter in these episodes. One of my favorite episodes so far, I think it's episode five, but it's literally the main character. Her name is Lunella Lafayette, and she is, in this episode, like fighting her hair like as a black young black girl she's she's literally questioning her hair uh somebody at, at her school is is telling her her hair is is frizzy and unruly and all these other things and she's like oh i gotta go figure this out and her herself as a uh young black girl of science she's about she's trying to go figure it out <laughs> and she does some things and her all her hair falls out now she had a bad hair day and she has to figure it out and i'm like man they are really not only giving us a, a cool story, but it's a cool story that probably can only happen to young black girls. You know what I mean, or or, or black um, people in general. So uh, it, it's it's been a it's been a really fun journey um, so far, man. Lawrence Fishburne plays the Beyonder in the episode. It's really ridiculous. Um, one of the most important things, not most mo most important things, but what's important about her family uh, is they own a skate rink in the Lower East Side of New York. Which is, you know, I think is really dope um, about the series. It's something that uh, you, you really don't get out of TV shows like this very often. But uh, something that also Rafael Sadiq is trying to do in the show is uh, make music very important in the show. He told everybody he wants the music to be very memorable about this show. And so uh, pretty much every last act of every episode is not only action, but it's usually uh, uh, over oversought by some some music. Some of it you know, some of it you don't. But regardless, it's really dope. The animation is really cool in those moments, um, and it's 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 it just has the makings to be a, one of those legendary shows, man. And again, coming at a time where where black centered cartoons are just a really uh, a, a thing to be reckoned with, and so um, I, I really am uh, uh, appreciating it. I love how ridiculous she i didn't even mention this it's literally called moon girl and devil dinosaur she literally opened when a dinosaur came out y'all and she can understand it it does nothing but right that's all it does and she can understand it and that's that's literally like her sidekick though that's her homie that's her best friend that's her she doesn't have a dog she has a devil dinosaur um that's really what the series is about it's her becoming a superhero um in 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 that sense and so it's 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 really dope um shout out to everybody involved i even love her name lunella lafayette i love her name uh i love really everything about the show man so if you haven't checked it out please 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 watch moon girl and devil dinosaur it came in black history month probably on purpose. <laughs> uh so yeah man check it out yeah i definitely want to watch it's it's been really cool because i've seen a couple of like marketing pieces for it and 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 have researched it a bit and 
it's really cool to see Lawrence Fishburne, who is a part of the voice cast, be such a champion for the show. I know he's like an executive producer yep. on the series, and he's been speaking about it a lot, really, really beating the drum of the show to get the word out there about it. And, and it's also interesting to see that it's the first collaboration between Disney Animation and Marvel Animation. There were there were a lot of conversations about, well, what platform does this work for? Should it be a part of the MCU technically? Because mm-hmm. there is a little bit of overlap, I noticed. And where, where should it live? Should it be on Disney Plus? Should it be on Disney Channel? Like, what does that all look like? And they found a really appropriate platform for it. But to have that partnership, you know, be established between those two production companies is also really cool because I think that that creativity is going to is going to only help the show flourish. And now it's already been renewed for a season two, which is fantastic. So people are definitely taking to it and i think it's also reassuring to know that it got a season two in a time where you know disney plus is actually in the phase of making some big transitions and some big cuts you know some things have not gotten renewed lately some things have been canceled as as an in an effort to to cut costs but this seems like it's definitely making an impact and people are watching it and really being attracted to it so i definitely want to check it out and get to it eventually but folks those are our thoughts on moon girl and devil dinosaur if you checked out this animated original series on disney plus definitely hit us up and let us know what you think And with that being said, we're going to transition to talk about a couple of movies. The first up being a brand new experimental horror film out of Canada, Skinamarink. In this house. In this house. In this house. Now, this movie is written and directed by Kyle Edward Ball, and it's starring Lucas Paul, Dolly Rose Triolt, Ross Paul, and Jamie Hill. So, Skin of a Rink is a very, very interesting independent film that has recently premiered on streaming on Shudder. I actually did not know about this movie until you actually told me about it, Des. I was not aware that this was coming, but this movie is, by all accounts, experimental really is the best word for it. It, it was made... On a budget of $15,000, very, very, very minimal budget. It was shot in one week. Uh, Kyle Edward Ball has had a little bit of a of a, of a cinematic past. This, this is mostly inspired by a series of shorts that he's responsible for on his YouTube channel called Bite Size Nightmares. And so this has become a feature-length version sort of, of of what he's already established with those YouTube shorts that he's been working on for a number of years. And 
as I mentioned, this movie did have a brief theatrical rollout at the top of the year before it was widely made available on the streaming service Shudder. Um, and it's essentially about two kids who wake up in the middle of the night. They find that their dad is nowhere to be found inside their home. And they also see that all the windows are missing and all the doors are gone. And it's a really, really terrible and terrifying experience for them. And it's very, very strange. But the way it's shot is in a very old school analog nature. Mm -hmm. It's a very, very different film, I think, compared to what many people have seen. If you want to get a sense of the style, I would recommend checking out Bite Size Nightmares because those are shorter versions kind of of what you've seen in this blown out version here but this is a movie we both finally got a chance to check out on streaming on shutter so with all of that out the way i'll pass it over to you man what did you think about skin of a rink man i have never seen i think a movie so spread out across people <laughs> who watch movies uh critically man it is i have i've never seen it this spread out usually there's like some kind of consensus somewhere you know sometimes you hate it you love it kind of consensus sometimes it's everyone's in the middle sometimes everyone loves it sometimes everyone hates it i have never seen so many i love it i hate it oh it's okay oh this is great oh this is one of the greatest things i've ever seen ever it is all over the place um and i am a person who currently and right now just exists in the middle uh because i have no idea what i watched um i think i need to go back and watch it again it's very much one of those because it's so experimental, because it's so patient and slow, and you kind of got to pay attention to what's happening and kind of have to listen and, 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 and follow the story differently than some of, you know, any of the other more popular horror films that you've seen. I, I it's, it's hard for me to wrap my head around currently. And so I think that's why I fall in the middle. I feel like I need to watch it again. Um, but I, I, I will say there are parts of the film that do feel i don't know if hard to watch is the word but it can get sleepy at moments because you're just waiting on something to happen or you are waiting on something to go down and so it's i love the experimental nature of it though sometimes there's like a jump scare in it and you don't even really know why you just jump like it it does a very good job of setting an atmosphere where you feel like you should be afraid of what's happening i will i will give it that for sure but man this is this is really a movie that absolutely most definitely won't be for everybody in fact i will even go an extra mile to say this is this is really for the the horror buffs um because i really do think a, a casual horror film watcher won't i think appreciate or understand what they're watching on the screen shoot even me as somebody who will i, I would say i'm a horror buff um in in, in some ways and, and me being like man i don't even know what i just seen you know kind of type thing and so i think it's 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 definitely a uh uh one of those far and in between movies that is going to take is is again either i think you're going to like it or i think a lot of people are are, are going to hate it because in, in some ways that's how it's it's been as even there is a, a mixed bag across the board so again something i still have to figure out but again i love the experimentation I love the atmosphere it sets in the in, in in to be honest, it's probably one of the better found footage movies we've seen in a couple years. I'm trying to think what we've gotten recently, but this is the one that for sure I can say is the most memorable and I'll give it that for now. So I will echo and start by saying exactly what you've already said that this movie is not for everybody. It, it truly is not. Mm -hmm. And mostly I attribute that fact to this reasoning this movie has no actual narrative there there really is no story and i think 
that that's the case because for me, in my viewing experience, the way that I perceive this this movie mm-hmm. is that a, a storyline is not the point. It truly is about the experience. And so I wanted to make sure that I curated the perfect watching experience for myself <laughs> that I thought was going to be the best possible outcome for this particular movie. And I didn't think that seeing it in the movies at a at a theater was going to create that. Mm-hmm. I actually thought that let let's just watch this at at home. Let's let's wait till it get, gets on streaming. And so I watched this on a Friday night yep. at one in the morning. Yep. All the lights out, completely dark, by myself to just experience to let it wash over me. And I do think that that is the optimal viewing experience because I gotta say. Mm-hmm. I think I might love this movie. I think I really, really might love it because of how strange and different and unexpected it really was for me and how much it low-key bothered me. Mm. It really, really affected me. And I think that what Kyle Edward Ball set out to do with this movie is, is to create this really primal viewing experience that plays on the anxiety and the fears that that children experience that we experience throughout childhood and that's the fear of abandonment that's the fear of the unknown not knowing what's around the corner not knowing what that sound was that you might have heard across the room which i personally i still go through that i live alone and i still like i'll hear some weird shit i'm like what was that what's going on like you know you get really jumpy when stuff like that goes down because when you watch so many of these movies it just becomes a part of your dna at a certain point And when you watch this film and you watch these two kids in this experience of their father being gone, nowhere to be found, and you also don't really know what's going on with their mother, that that's left kind of to the unknown as well. There's just this sense of utter helplessness. And I think if you're a parent, if you were to watch this, this might be the worst thing ever to watch because you would feel so terrible for what the kids go through. They go through such dire shit, such terrible stuff mm-hmm. throughout this movie. I think it would just it would be it would be so upsetting to watch this as a parent. And 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 by the end of it, what I found is that the story doesn't have the answers for you. It does not give you a solid concrete reason as to what's happening and, and, and why it's happening. I think it's all left up to interpretation. And I, I typically love a lot of movies that that go that route. I, I, I love ambiguous, you know, maybe more opaque endings sometimes. And, and you just kind of have to you kind of have to make sense of it for yourself. Mm-hmm. The less answers for me in many of my viewing experiences, especially in the horror genre, kind of the better. And and I think that some some people they might perceive watching, you know, this movie is is like a nightmare playing out in real time. Like we might be just experiencing what somebody would go through in their own nightmares. Others might speculate that this is like an alternate reality, some separate supernatural dimension is is somewhere we might be in, in taking place within the story. And I think regardless of what your perception is, it's evident that something is wrong and something very sinister and something very, very just upsetting is happening all throughout this house. And it really fucking bothered me. There were just many points in time where I was just like, yo, this is not okay. <laughs> because everything that happens in this movie is just completely implausible. It cannot be explained. And then the fact that the, the director goes the extra mile to not explain it, it's like, yo, this this is crazy. I, I just don't know what I'm watching. So again, this movie's not for everybody, but for me, because of how much it made me feel, how much emotion it drew out of me, it really, really worked. And those jump scares... Some might call them cheap because of the way that the film is framed, because there is so much silence. There is a lot that's drawn out. There's even repeated shots. Like there are mm-hmm. shots that are used over and over again. And I will say that, that that's a criticism that I have. I think you could 
you can lose like 10 minutes, you know, if you take out yeah. some of the repeated shots. But because there's so much silence for such a long time, when jump scares are utilized, they worked for me because I, I just didn't see it coming. And they're very, very frightening. And so, you know, I think that overall, this is this is a movie that you just kind of have to experience and make your own judgment call based off of that, because you'll go into it just not really knowing what's happening. As you say, you just don't really know what you witness. Like this is a movie where you don't even see anybody's face. You don't see none of the main characters' faces. You don't see the children's faces. Just legs. And when you do see it, yeah, just legs and torsos. And the camera is placed on the floor. You're looking up at the ceiling. It's mm-hmm. at Dutch angles. It looked like somebody dropped something on the floor. And you just so happen to be in this room mm-hmm. watching this unfold. And, yeah, there's just so much in, inexpl- inexplicable stuff. And so I, I think that you just kind of have to you kind of have to just, you know, allow yourself to experience it for what it is and then make your own judgment call based off of that. Yeah. But I, I think I think that for me, it really, really worked. It was really impactful. And and I probably attribute that to the fact that it is so experimental. And also just the fact that I watched it at the worst time possible. I watched it when the director probably envisioned like, yeah, you want to get the shit scared out of you? <laughs> yeah, watch it at like midnight or 1 a.m. on a Friday or Saturday by mm-hmm. yourself and then see what happens. And so it worked for me. I really liked it. I don't know if I'll ever watch it again just based off of everything I said now. Yeah. Uh, for better and for worse. But <laughs> if you do check it out, I'd, I would love to hear what people's opinions on it are. Again, it's it's currently streaming right now on, on Shudder. So definitely hit us up and let us know what you think about it if you check out Skidamarine. But those are our thoughts. Again, if you've checked out this movie, give us a shout. Let us know what you think about it. With that being said, we're going to transition to another movie, a brand new film that just recently debuted on HBO Max streaming service. A movie from Sam Mendes, who just recently got back into filmmaking after after his really successful movie that came out a few years ago, 1917. This is his follow-up film, Empire of Light. Look around you. This whole place is for people who want to escape. People who don't belong anywhere else. How do you feel? I do feel a bit numb, I suppose. The world is changing. Wow. You can't reverse it. Another world. Happy New Year! You can't just give up. Don't let them tell you what you can or can't do. these people. I'm the only one who knows the truth. Do you understand me? I'm the only one! Hillary, please open the door. Here's to the future. Walking those Here's to getting back up. And here's the coming home. Now, as I mentioned, this movie is written and directed by Sam Mendes and is starring Olivia Coleman, Michael Ward, Monica Dolan, Tom Brooke, Tanya Moody, Hannah Onslow, Crystal Clark, Toby Jones, and Colin Firth. And so Empire of Light is a film had a brief theatrical run at the end of the year in December. It was kind of low-key. HBO Max is the streaming service that picked up the rights and just made it available a few weeks ago, in fact. Um, The movie did, in fact, debut at the Telluride Film Festival back in September before it had its theatrical release, but because it became available on HBO Max and also because it just recently got 
an Academy Award nomination for Best Cinematography, mm-hmm. wanted to at least give it give it a chance to to watch it. And and in addition to that, Olivia Coleman is just such a fantastic actress. She she's probably one of the top two or three working actresses, you know, right now currently. She's just on on such an amazing streak. Um, and I got a chance to watch this movie a couple of weeks ago and. Overall, I'll just say that it, it, it's a pretty big disappointment for me. Uh, Sam Mendes is a director that I really, really enjoy mm-hmm. a lot of his work. I've I've seen most of his movies all the way back to American Beauty, which is a movie I actively enjoy. And 1917 was incredible as well. And he did Skyfall, which is perhaps the best Bond movie ever. You know, so the guy has incredible, immense talent and has a pedigree. And Olivia Coleman is, as I said, I think one of the best working actresses today. Roger Deakins, one of the best cinematographers alive, yeah. is the DP on this film. There's just so many elements that that you would just assume, like, this has to be kind of a surefire hit. It's going to be a great film, and they dropped it in December, so it felt like it was going to be one of those Oscar bait movies. And typically, Oscar bait movies turn out to be at least somewhat good. Mm-hmm. And I just got to say that this movie is 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 pretty bad in, in, in actuality, <laughs> which uh, I, I just couldn't have predicted coming into it, but I, I didn't really enjoy it. I think on the positive end... Olivia Coleman is fantastic, as you would expect. As she's, she is. She's she's amazing, mm-hmm. you know. And th- this is this is ultimately a movie that's a love story, but it's also kind of an ode to cinema. Mm-hmm. It's it's a it's a tribute to cinema. This is about two characters who work together in a movie theater, and they and they they establish a relationship with one another. With one another, um, Olivia Coleman is a bit of an older woman, but she establishes this relationship with the with Michael Ward's character who's this young black man working in this movie theater. And, and it's also a period piece, take, period piece taking place in the, the early 1980s. And so Michael Ward's character actually experiences a fair share amount of racism, you know, in, in his work and in daily life. And they're also having this relationship with each other in the workplace. And it's secret. You know, nobody knows about it. They're, they're doing this under the table. They're, they're going in, in different corners of, of the movie theater. They're going out back. They're taking their lunch breaks to, to just, you know, be be with each other on an intimate level and so their relationship actually worked for me i i didn't anticipate that going into it because when you look at them you just wouldn't think that they would physically be attracted to each other you just wouldn't assume that yeah and and when you actually see their relationship develop i bought into it because of how good both michael ward and olivia coleman are outside of that what gets really weird about the film is that there's not really a coherent story here because i think that there's just so many ideas introduced Olivia Coleman's character is dealing with a disorder. She's dealing with, you know, a, a mental disorder that she has to work through on a daily basis. There's also infidelity happening. There's racism, as I said. There's sexual harassment. There's just so much stuff in this movie. And 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 somehow they never managed to really dive deep into any of those really heavy topics. And I don't I don't know what failed here in particular. I do know that this is the first script that Sam Mendes has wrote by himself. Mm. He's co-wrote many scripts before on, on his previous films, but he took a stab at this on his own. And, and it just, I think that that might be where it failed, failed for me. Cause it just did not work. Mm. And, and even as a film that's trying to kind of be an ode to cinema because it takes place in a, in a movie theater and, there's many sequences where it's like, yeah, you know, you can tell that they're tr- just trying to, you know, paint a paint a loving tribute to the history of cinema. It just doesn't really go anywhere, you know. And I think uh, Deakins is he's always going to be incredible behind the camera. The movie looks spectacular. I will never take that away from it. I mean, some of the shots here, the way that they're composed, the way that they're lit, the way that they're, you know, even color timed, all of that stuff is just expertly done. But beyond that, the story failed, and it's because it just introduced so many ideas, and it didn't really pay any of them off. I think that if it focused on maybe a couple and, and really dove deep and explored those things, 
it could have probably worked out a little bit better. Mm -hmm. But but unfortunately, Olivia Coleman, her terrific performance, great cinematography, and a really notable director, they just weren't enough to save it from ultimately what what it ended up turning out to be for me. And that was that was ultimately a disappointing experience. Yeah, that sucks because uh, Sam Mendes, he's he's pretty consistent, man. A lot of the movies you named were. Man, uh, again, recently, nineteen seventeen. Oh boy, what a what a what a film! Um, it's crazy when you see a film like this and all the makings. Everything on looks fire. Olivia, Olivia Coleman, Sam Mendes, Roger Deakins, and then it's just like, dang, what happened? <laughs> um, and so, yeah, that just sucks. I think, especially so far in Sam Mendes's career, where like, I don't know, you just feel like this has to be a hit kind of type thing again when you see it on paper and then it's just it just isn't um i i'm glad to see you know if roger deakins you know came through how you, you said he came through at least he got nominated of course for the academy award so that's what's up um this is one of the the weird years where olivia coleman they tried to get her you know they all try to get olivia coleman in this dang oscars man but i, I bet you if this movie was good she would have been in talks for something but unfortunately uh the the, the, the film um wasn't as good as people thought it would be but yeah it's that's that's too bad I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna still check it out of course because that is definitely uh again in 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 the running for best cinematography uh i have to check it out for that but man it's it's still unfortunate yeah i mean one thing i will say in defense of it it's never boring i, I will give it that credit because sometimes you know with mm, the movie that's, that's just bad you were mm -hmm. yeah that, that's at least a positive thing i was never bored it's just I, I was not bored but i looked at the movie and i just said none of this stuff really really works you know i, I just had to acknowledge it like none of this is coming together in the way that that I think it should. So that's kind of where it failed and all of those different thematic things that it was trying to explore. But as, as we've just pointed out, you know, numerous times, the cinematography on point. So if it was going to ever get an Academy Award nomination, I, I will never take that away from it. I think now seeing it, I, I totally get why I was included in that category. Mm -hmm. But folks, those are our thoughts on Empire of Light. If you've checked out this movie on HBO Max, hit us up and let us know what you think. And with that being said, we're officially done with all of our reviews of the week on the TV and movie side. So let's move on and talk about a couple of quick news items that we want to catch up with. We just released our massive spoiler-filled review for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. And in addition to that, the MCU was undergoing a state of evolution, a state of change. And I think we kind of maybe saw the writing on the wall with this stuff coming. Kevin Feige also recently alluded to it. We talked last week about the really informative interview he gave with entertainment weekly and and we sort of read between the lines you know some of the stuff that he was putting down i think we were picking up and mm -hmm. and now it looks like a lot of that stuff is actually coming to fruition because the hollywood reporter just recently released a story from some of their sources that's giving us a lot of insight in terms of what's happening with disney at large and of course that affecting marvel and and what we're seeing here is that a lot of stuff is moving around and and most notably what's been officially confirmed not even from insider trade sources but from marvel studios themselves the marvel's movie that we were anticipating was going to come out this july has been pushed back to november 10th and so that film is going to be starring brie larson amon Vellani, and of course tiana paris coming together in that film that'll be coming after guardians of the galaxy it'll be the third mcu film this year mm -hmm. so it's getting pushed back about four months but within the depths of this hollywood reporter story is a lot of conversation around the state of disney and what's going to happen now that bob Iger is back in charge as the ceo He's really focusing on quality as opposed to quantity, which I think we have experienced a lot of in the past couple of years under the Bob Chapik regime. And Bob Iger has come back to say, like, no, we have to focus on quality, not only because, you know, we want to make sure that we're putting out the best product, but we got to cut costs. We got to save money. Mm -hmm. And this stuff is 
extraordinarily expensive. And so he 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 made it very known on the earnings call recently that they want the quality on screen, but a lot of these reasonings as 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 it relates to maybe a slower output is mm-hmm. because they have to just look at what this stuff stuff is costing them on on a financial end. And so many of the rumors coming out of this article are stating that some of the series that we thought were going to drop this year probably are not going to drop this year. It looks like that the Hawkeye spinoff show Echo will indeed be delayed until next year, as well as Ironheart, which is a series that was initially dated for fall of 2023, will not ultimately arrive this year. It's probably going to hit in 2024 instead. And apparently, again, according to The Hollywood Reporter, their sources say that the only surefire bets to drop this year in terms of a Marvel side of things is going to be low-key season two and Secret Invasion, which we have a trailer for Secret Invasion. We've gotten small snippets of Loki season two as well. And so those those look to be the surefire bets for this year. Everything else, mm-hmm. it's kind of up for debate. You know, we don't know the status of what if. We don't know the mm. status of X-Men 97, mm-hmm. which are also shows we expected this year. I think that they have six shows slotted for Sheesh. Disney Plus this year. Um, again, it's important to know this is not just affecting Marvel. This is affecting Star Wars as well. Their other biggest, you know, sort of content creator, mm-hmm. all of Disney. Everything is being reevaluated. They're talking a lot about what Star Wars is going to look like on a theatrical front. We spoke a few weeks ago about the rumors around the Damon Lindelof movie mm-hmm. that might be actively in development. Star Wars Celebration is like right around the corner, so we'll probably get some news there. But overall, man, what do you think about these big, big changes that are coming? It looks like what Kevin Feige said, that they're planning to really scale back and also spread out the releases. It, it, it turns out to be probably not prophetic because I'm sure he got the email before the rest of us. But he was just, <laughs> you know, keying us into what's going to happen in, in, in the near future with Marvel. What do you think about the movie being pushed back a few months and then also just the shows and what what we're going to get this year versus what's going to be delayed until next year? I think what's interesting about the Marvels is there's something about it that felt like a a summer release. (laughs) I don't know. I think it's because they got very, I don't know, they're very fire-esque girls, so it felt like a summer drop to me. So it's interesting that they're moving it to November, Um, which, again, let let me preface this by me saying, I think this is great news <laughs> uh, it, by by way and quality of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, man. Uh, we've talked at length, at length, at length, at length about Phase 4 and now uh, with our Ant-Man Quantumania uh, review out, now Phase 5, where it's sometimes you just need to slow down and, and, and really put out and understand what it means to put out a, a, a product that has quality, man, what it means to care uh, about something. Not saying Marvel didn't care about anything. Not saying that they still haven't been putting out somewhat decent content. But I can just imagine, 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 imagine if they had slowed down phase four and given us a little bit more uh, uh, rounded and taken care of in in uh, uh, slightly more thought out projects, man. Because I think we'd be talking about some of these things in a different light. Imagine if the thing that people don't like about Eternals, they fix just by having more time. Imagine the things that people don't like about, I don't know, any of the TV shows they put out that if they if it just had more time. And so I, I, I think I'm of the camp that here less can absolutely and positively be more. You said it um, on our on our on our review uh ant-man um and the wasp quantumania that the mcu marvel they are people who will work until they can't work no more they will put out a couple days the deadline 
they will work until the deadline and put it out then. And I'm like, man, what if, what if the deadline was pushed back? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? What if they just had more time to think about things and work on things and give us a, a, a more clean and sound product? And I think a lot of all these projects that you know you just said are getting pushed back um, between Echo and Ironheart, and which are two, what I have to. These are representation, very important representation projects that they're pushing back. One, Blade happened to like a different reason, right? But it's a representation project. It's literally a black man who's a vampire, uh, vampire hunter. Echo, uh, uh, a deaf native woman. You know what I'm saying? Ironheart, a black girl genius in college. Imagine if these projects getting pushed back have more care into them, they're able to to, to represent, um, um, I don't know, just higher quality TV shows, man, and, and give us, I think, something that people can latch onto and hold on to uh, uh, a little bit more than some of the projects they've been putting out. Because so one of the things I've been hearing about, again, still phase four, not so much phase five yet, is that this is forgettable. This is, we don't have to circle back to this. I might ever watch this TV show again. And, 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 you know, imagine if that wasn't the case. Uh, imagine if, like, again, they, they're, everything we've watched just felt like they were spread thin. I remember us watching uh, uh, Moon Knight and being like, dang, this is cool. But, like, I remember watching that and being like, dang, imagine if they had, like, even, like, three months. You know what I'm saying? Three more months to kind of clean up uh, uh, Moon Knight. So, they're just, it, it, I actually really like this decision. Um, I love that the slowing down. Uh, uh, give us more meaningful projects, man. At the end of the day, I, I love that they're doing it across the board too. Sort of. We kind of talked about you know the some of those Disney sequels coming out. We don't know about that stuff, but Star Wars, man. Imagine if they didn't have to clean everything. You know what I'm saying? Imagine if they could literally sit down and be like, okay, this is the story moving forward. It's not all about the Skywalkers <laughs> anymore. You know what I mean? This is we have we have a new story to tell. And so I think I'm looking forward to this across the board. Of course it could be because of money, sure, but I think that at the end of the day it could be in benefit of the fans of these projects. I think the uh, the entire VFX industry probably read this article and took a collective sigh of relief. <laughs> they were like, "Oh my God, I have been waiting years and years for this type of news." Um, in actuality, I don't know. I don't know if that's the case. This this could maybe not phase them at all because I, I do not know their workload, but we do know that people are massively overworked and and overextended in that industry based on many many stories and reports and testaments that have come out. There's a couple of ways to look at this. I would say one in terms of my personal feelings. I'm fine with this. I literally said last week that I welcome less of Marvel and this is less of Marvel. And so I'm perfectly fine with that decision. And also pushing the Marvel's movie back until December. I'm also cool with that just because I did feel that it was going to be a little weird to have this massive gap theatrically because if it did come out in July, mm -hmm. we wouldn't get the next Marvel movie in 2024 until i think springtime like march it was yeah. going to be captain america new world that's order true. so that's mm -hmm. that's a long time out of the movies for 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 marvel and so just selfishly i was like you know maybe we can space this out a little bit better and, and make it a little bit more balanced i'm cool with that yep. the shows in particular that are going to get pushed back i i also agree listen those are going to be carefully crafted projects you got to get those right so take time on them and, and make sure that they are right because they're going to oh, speak yeah. to a lot of different demographics and audiences. This this is more reflective of, I think, just the, the industry as a whole. Entertainment, you know, 
it's it's going through it's going through a lot right now. And I think a few years ago, we experienced companies spending, 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 spending just mindlessly almost mm-hmm. to produce as much as they can to service audiences. There was just endless amounts of stuff to watch. And now we're in a state of correction because we saw that there's a ceiling to the stuff. Netflix mm. lost subscribers. Disney Plus had quarters where they lost money. Everybody started to see like there's only so many people in the world with streaming capabilities. There's only so many TVs, yeah. yep. right? Mm-hmm. And so I think this correction is now happening where they realize like, damn, we cannot spend all this money and not see it come back because the billions and billions and billions that they're that they're putting out there they're not returning that in the subs- in the subscribers that they're getting to these streaming services. It's just not mathematically. It's just not working. And so you can have like twelve mediocre, okay shows, or you can make like four to five great ones. Exactly. And what's going to be more memorable at the end of the day? Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be the latter. I think more people are going to say like, "Yo, I had to sign up for Disney Plus because those that I watched, it was so dope. It was so it was so incredible to see that." In addition to that, Marvel specifically. Phase four, we got 18 projects. When I put together that list, when we did the rankings, I was like, yo, this is crazy. <laughs> what I don't I don't think necessarily like maybe pundits and, and people in our space that have necessarily accounted for outside of us just maybe being tired of it, maybe mm-hmm. experiencing fatigue. Think about the resource pool that's available. Mm-hmm. Think about the talent that they have to find to actually staff these shows, the writers, the creators, the producers. There's only so much talent in Hollywood. And they've managed, they've managed to find people and pick them from all these different corners of, of Hollywood, give people breaks and chances. But I don't know if for every show that we've gotten, if the talent associated with that show, not in front of the camera, but behind the camera, mm-hmm. I don't know if everybody was necessarily the right person yeah. to take on that scale of project. Because we know that Marvel has traditionally found people that don't have a ton of experience. They pull them from the indie world. They maybe pull them from TV. They might have a couple of credits on their IMDb, and all of a sudden they become like overnight sensations. Mm -hmm. And that's worked for them in a lot of instances, but I don't know if it can always be this Teflon approach where it's like it's always going to work. Like, yes, they might have an interesting perspective, but Kevin Feige, I don't think, has had as much oversight to really pick the people that will be the best for the particular project that they're setting out to do. And I think that that's a really carefully crafted approach that you have to take every time out. And they might've been rushed in the past. They Mm -hmm. might be working on really, really, really tight deadlines. This shit is not as well thought out as people might think. A lot of the stuff happens up until the wire, like the very, very last minute. That's just the nature of the industry. And so I think what this will allow Kevin Feige and company to, 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 you know, sort of implement moving ahead in the future is what they used to do in the past. Focus on a few releases every year, make those the best that they can absolutely be, and hopefully sort of right the ship. Because right now it feels like it's veering a little bit off course. We might be in free fall in, in a second here if they put out a few more projects that people are just not, mm-hmm. they're not fucking with. Because you can't, like you can afford like a couple of Quantum Manias, you can afford a couple of Eternals, but you cannot afford like seven in a row of those. You cannot, yep. you cannot do that. You know, I think you got to win. And I think Guardians 3 will be a win. I I cannot envision that being a bad movie. I think that'll get people back. But after that, you really do have to make sure that you can get audiences really invested and really interested in what you're going to put out. And I think this reduction, this decrease, this scaling back will hopefully get us back there. But we'll have to see. You know, time time will certainly tell us as all of this plays out. As we move on in other news, we just found out that Universal and DreamWorks are making a live action How to Drain, Train Your Dragon movie, which is, uh, if you don't know, a popular trilogy of films that DreamWorks Animation released in the in the mid-2010s. 
It's an incredible trilogy of movies. Fire. The How to Train Your Dragon series is Tr- amazing. Fire. Um, <laughs> two especially, and it's just it's crazy how good those movies are. I mean, you could really you could really put them on par with any with any animated film or franchise. And so now uh, DreamWorks is looking to take to take the Disney approach. Ironically enough, we've seen Disney over the past decade plus or so take many of their really beloved animated classics and and adapt them into live action Mm -hmm. and they've had varying degrees of success but i think by and large they've been incredibly successful i was researching and found cnbc did sort of an article on this and they they calculated that since 2010 disney has released 11 theatrical live action remakes you know so that includes alice in wonderland cruella beauty and the beast Mm -hmm. lion king of course 8.6 8.6 billion at the global box office. So they've worked financially. <laughs> they are doing exactly what they need to do. Jeez. Creatively, that might be a different story, but financially, they are they are fulfilling they are fulfilling the, the the goal that they set out to do. And so, How to Train Your Dragon, I think, is looking to take a similar page out of that book. But they do have some great great source material because again, those three mm-hmm. movies are great. But how do you feel about this? Because um, we've seen it again done with Disney, but now DreamWorks who puts out a lot more movies than Pixar or Disney does in, do. in, in, in any given year. They put out a ton of movies. They're starting with How to Train Your Dragon specifically. So how do you feel about that franchise and just also what this might mean in the future? Because I don't, if these work, I don't see them stopping at any point. I think they're going to they're gonna look to everything that they have in their canon and say like, well, what, what else can we mm-hmm. uh, eventually adapt and remake into live action? What's, what's interesting is I don't think DreamWorks actually has that many movies that can be translated into live action. I think this is an experiment that I think, I think they'll do a good job here. First and foremost, I think part of this comes from seeing dragons be done so well in game of Thrones. (laughs) They're like, Oh, the technology is clearly there to make this look fucking fire. You know what I mean? Like, I think they see the vision and I actually see the vision. This is one of their more properties that I, I do see going into live action. I don't see, I don't know live action shrek <laughs> you know what i'm saying oh yeah. challenge accepted challenge they're, they're gonna look at you and say well hey, j- j- just you wait they're gonna make me wrong they're gonna have to put me wrong for that one i do see look, like disney said lion king hey um, prince of which, egypt it's what, like that didn't work they see they seen that lion king didn't work ish, well ish. it worked financially it, didn't work it worked it it, it 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 exploded financially yeah. creatively i, I don't think we'll ever speak about that creatively. movie again but yeah. um they, they they knew what they wanted to do with that one yeah they do they do have movies though in their arsenal I, i'm even thinking like the croods would be cool for a live action film if they do it correctly movies like I that. With that um but i i actually like this for them i really do because this is the this is the property out of all the movies they have that makes the most sense i think in how to train your dragon and so I, again, I, I really, really like this idea. I actually think they'll be successful. I know that sounds very hopeful, very early, but it's something about, like you said, the source material is fire. We know DreamWorks got the money to put every to put you know the the what they need behind it, and and I'm very hopeful for this, man. This is I'm I'm over here thinking of like how many animated trilogies there are that are this fire. There's not a ton, you know what I mean? Of course, we have Toy Story. Of course, there's a couple other things out there, but this. This is they got something on their hands, I think, with this How to Train a Dragon live action man. So I'm on board for it. Yeah, I, if if they if they named any other movie or franchise from their library, I definitely would have looked at this yeah, like, yo, stop, mm-hmm. like please, please stop. Um, I, I was less less dubious because it is How How to Train a Dragon. I'm a little bit biased because they are so good. So I'm like, oh, well, I'll give this a shot. Mm-hmm. You know, we can see how it works. Right. Um, but you know, the cynic in me is also like, well, shit, y'all. Like, can we 
can we just not make this like a, an ongoing trend? Can we really mm. not do this? Like, why why do we continue to extrapolate and squeeze out every bit of dime that we can get out of these? Pri- like, it's it's becoming a thing where, like, you, you brought up The Lion King, which I that's, for me, a bad movie. I do not <laughs> like that movie. However, it made $1.6 billion. Mm-hmm. People went and saw that shit. I went and saw it. They, they got me. They fucking got me. Yeah. And it's like... Yeah. How how much longer are we gonna go for this? How much longer are we gonna like? Yeah. Yep, going to see the Lion King, and I know it's gonna be terrible, and it looked like a National Geographic documentary, like. But I'm still gonna give him my money. It's it's crazy to me. So I just that's the part of me where I'm just like, yo, this is this is really it's starting to become exhausting. Mm-hmm. But if they can make it good, if it turns out to be a great movie, then what happens is we get amnesia, and it's like, well, all is forgiven. It's great. So <laughs> it was good. Let's just move on. It was good. Let's see the Croods live action. Let's see Captain Underpants live action or or, or, bo- or hey yo Boss Baby Prince of Egypt live action. Now that that would go crazy, but I, they have to do it right. But it's also like you know the story of Moses. I mean, a lot of people have gotten that wrong, so they would have That's to do true. it very, very right. And hey, very they got correct. the source material though, Prince of Egypt. They do. I mean, it's the best. It's the best adaptation of of the story of Moses that, ever done. Yeah. I think it's uh, just, it's, it's probably it's the closest actively, that you can get. <laughs> <laughs> it's still the best. The music is fucking fire. Yep. I can't wait for that 4K to drop. It, it'll definitely be in my cart mm-hmm. ASAP. But um, they got a lot that they could pull from. That that there there could be potential, but we 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 do have to wait and see. But they've slated this already for 2025, so we won't have to wait that long. Yeah. They're, they're, they're looking the to fast track this and get this out um pretty quickly. So we will certainly see. And in our last news item for this week, we found out the runtime to John Wick Chapter 4, and it's at a whopping two hours and 49 minutes, making it by far the longest John Wick movie, probably the longest movie of 2023. Like, how many movies are two hours and 49 minutes to begin with? I don't know how to feel about this, if I'm being honest. A part of me is like, yay, John Wick kicking ass for three hours how incredible and amazing and then the other side of me is like well wait a second this is a high adrenaline pure octane Mm -hmm. over the top action movie and if i remember correctly though i like john wick chapter three i think it's still a really really good movie i remember sitting in the movie theaters watching that film and becoming a bit exhausted by the end at how many action sequences there were Mm -hmm. like at a certain point it's like Yo, another one? Like he's 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 fighting twelve goons again. He's shooting everybody again. Like it became a little bit much. Mm-hmm. And 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 upon rewatch, I've grown more favorably to to three because I know what to expect. But yo, I I can't I can't I can't reasonably explain two hours and forty nine minutes. Like, what is this movie for it to be that long? How many action set pieces are there gonna be? Like, I, I just I can't make sense of it. How, how does this even work, man? What, what what do you think about this movie being damn near three hours? To be honest, I'm hoping. This is the movie where they're like, okay, we've done this a lot. Let's put just a little bit more story in it. You know what I mean? Let's put a little bit more. Oh. <laughs> Let's put a story co- in a John Wick movie. Okay. Let's put a couple we'll more moments where John Wick is actually talking to somebody about something important. You know? Really? Because um, <laughs> there, there is a couple things where in the trailer, like, there, there is a couple, like, sit-downs. I'm sure they turn it into, like, action set pieces. But there are, like, a couple sit-downs, and maybe there's... Um, isn't Bill Skarsgård in this movie? Yes. Maybe. Yes. And yes. I just don't I just don't feel like he's in the movie. Like, you know what I mean? That's an actor. <laughs> Bill Skarsgård is there to act. And so I feel like there might be a, a, just a little bit more to this film than previous films. I'm not saying it won't be still the high 
octane high adrenaline film that we're used to. But I, I'm just hoping there is maybe a little bit more to sink our teeth into, um, in, 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 which is why it's so long. Because if not, I ain't gonna lie to you, there was, I remember being in the theater for John Wick 3 and I was like, this is great. But I'm, I actually fell asleep for like five minutes. <laughs> I, I fell asleep for five minutes in John Wick 3. For real, for real. I did. It's I great, like, but it ain't great. Yeah, I was like, dang, this is, this is amazing. Dang, man. Uh, and I had to wake back up because it was like, dang, we're doing this again. It really is exhausting. There was a lot happening on the screen. And so I'm hoping, again, this is just a, I think they want to give us that same everything that same action but maybe just a little bit more spread out because um it if if that's the case i'm for it if not i have to be worried a little bit i do that's a long time to to be in a john wick movie man it really is so i have i have, i'm worried i am i must come straight out i am worried about the runtime i am so we're gonna have to see yeah, and the new trailer also dropped the final trailer quote unquote and and there's a lot in it i mean you can look at it and tell like Oh, they probably have a good seven big action set mm-hmm. pieces, like no less than seven. And 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 that seems great and, and that does excite me. I love John Wick. For I sure. love 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 John yes. Wick, but you know, at a certain point, where does one draw the line at the headshots and the swords and the killing? It's like, okay, now, you know, maybe maybe this would have been better split up as two movies if you're gonna be mm. that ambitious about it. I mean of course we're gonna get like 12 more john wick movies but still you know and and maybe maybe perhaps they're trying to build out this universe we know that they're doing that that spinoff show um with anna de armis i think the continental is still supposed to be a thing so this could perhaps you know give us insight as to ballerina yes that's that's the name of the anna de armis show um so perhaps this is like we have to really do a lot of world building like even more than we have already done and they've, they've been great at world building but they have to like scale it up even more and that perhaps is padding the runtime a little bit but We'll see in a few short weeks here. John Wick will be out at the end of March. But with all of that out the way, folks, that's all we have for this episode of Two Black Nerds. Thank you again for tuning into another podcast. We will be back next week, some point next week. Don't know when. It's a lot going on. But we will be back next week to talk about the brand new film from Universal Pictures. Cocaine Bear (laughs) is finally coming out. Can you believe it? Cocaine Bear. Cannot wait to see what that's about. We're also going to talk about You Season 4 Part 1, which recently premiered on Netflix. The first five episodes have become available, so we'll catch up with that. And as usual, we will discuss and review Episode 7 of The Last of Us on HBO. So plenty to look forward to. So definitely be on the lookout. But until then, we will see you all next time. Yes, sir. We are Audi 5000. Please check out our Two Black Panthers Forever collection at TwoBlackNerds.com. Happy Black History Month, and remember, always bet on black. Appreciate y'all. Love y'all. Thank you for listening to another episode of Two Black Nerds, where we're too black, too nerdy, and we out, y'all. I just want to take it out of town and look around.